This is the ARC Energy Ideas Podcast with Peter Terzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the ARC Energy Ideas Podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Terzakian. It is January 25th, and today we're going to talk about natural gas. Jackie, what are the topics? Well, you know, I call it the forgotten commodity because yeah. we talk a lot about oil, but natural gas is, I think, facing a crisis. So let's talk about if that's really the case and what the situation is here in Western Canada. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what companies are doing to deal with the very, very low prices that we've seen and yeah. some solutions that have been put forward. Yeah, there is some solutions that are available and we're going to talk about those in terms of how we can get a higher natural gas price, both for our producers and ultimately for the province the people of Alberta who own the resource and get their benefits from the royalties. Okay, lots to cover. There's an important topic. There is a lot to cover. And you know what I did? I brought to our session here, Jackie, a couple of postcards that I have in my collection dating back to 1909. And here is a postcard that I'm looking at with the first, one of the very first natural gas wells, Old Glory, that was drilled to 1900 feet. And it produced at that time, it's quite a staggering four and a half million cubic feet per day. And another picture from Medicine Hat. For those of you who know Medicine Hat, it's a beautiful river valley. And there is a rig on the riverbanks. You know, that's where it really started. And the way it started actually was that they weren't drilling for natural gas. They were drilling for water for the steam engines, uh, the locomotives that were coming through uh, Medicine Hat on the CPR. And they needed water to refill those steam engines. But instead of hitting water, they hit natural gas. And uh, it sat on a big gas field that uh, endured and grew and grew all the way to the peak, I would say, of natural gas drilling in that area, which was about 2005. We were drilling uh, probably over 10,000 wells a year in that area and a significant part of the production. But then things started to change, shift, the natural gas in that area started to decline. And of course, more productive areas were found up in the Montney area, Grand Prairie, where you're from, and further west into British Columbia. Right. And so Medicine Hat found quite a good thing there. It helped their economy. Sure. You can still see they had the gas lanterns, the pictures of the gas it was one lanterns of the first, at the time. Uh, yeah, it was one of the first communities in North America that used natural gas for lighting. And I think when people think about Western Canada, they think more of oil, the Leduc discovery. Right. But this gas was before that time. It was far before that time. And the Western Canadian sedimentary basin, which spans from British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and into even a little bit of Manitoba, if you look at that basin from west, British Columbia, to the east, it's quite gassy in the west and then gets progressively more into the gas-oil combinations and then into dominantly gas in Medicine Hat. Then it switches into oil again in the Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Right. And uh, importantly, a lot of gas just in BC. We have a lot of production today yeah. of gas. So yeah. yes, everything has shifted. The technology has changed a lot from when you could just drill water wells and get gas in Medicine Hat yeah. to today we're drilling very deep wells with laterals that extend a mile and a half or longer at times. Laterals being like they drill down very deep, but then they actually drill out very far horizontally. Yeah. And they fracture these wells. And, you know, we always knew that these plays existed for many decades, but the formations were so tight that the gas wouldn't flow to surface. But the innovation that's happened is we've learned that if we fracture yep. uh, these areas, we can actually get the gas. These fractures are like little highways. The natural gas can come to the surface and we're getting these massive gas wells. And that has caused a ton of economic investment in 
you know, Grand Prairie area and into BC and billions and billions of dollars of investment over yeah. the last years. But is it in crisis? Well, if you look at the peak of revenue for the industry, so the amount of dollars generated from the sale of natural gas across the Western provinces. The peak really was in 2005. And uh, it was really quite a staggering year because we had high gas prices, around $10-ish, combined with big volumes. And back then, we had about $50 billion, that's B billion dollars worth of revenue uh, from natural gas. Uh, it has declined steadily over the course uh, of the last 10 to 15 years. And you have a combination now of exactly uh, the opposite, extremely low prices for natural gas that uh, we'd be lucky to get $9 billion out of it. So it's declined by 80%. Right. And today the price of gas is is $1.50. Well, it's averaged about $1.50 over the last 18 months. On any given day, it moves around a lot. $1.50, that's a very low gas price. And we still actually have surprisingly a lot of volume. Volume has remained fairly robust, but we're not getting very much for our gas. To put it in perspective of how ridiculously cheap natural gas is right now in Western Canada... If you look at the price that the U.S. has averaged over the same period, we're selling our gas for about 40% of the price that the Americans are getting. And so this is a big problem. The system is, is kind of broken. Yeah, so as we've discussed with the oil side of the business at length last year, the differential was a big issue. And now here, too, we've got a massive differential in price between United States gas prices and Canadian gas prices. And to put that in perspective, if we went back even a couple of years, we used to get about 70% of the value of them or a 30% discount. Yeah. So, you know, something's changed here in Western Canada. Oh, yeah. We went from getting gas prices that were not so far off what the Americans were getting to getting you know, deep, deep discounts. Right. Now. So, I mean, in part, it's because we can generate so much natural gas volume at much lower cost with a new technology. But that's not the only story. We're going to talk about that. That's right. I mean, for sure, the gas prices are cheaper in the United States than they used to be yeah. as well, but ours are extremely low. Yeah. But let's talk about the cost of this to the economy because uh, I think that's, in order to judge, is this a crisis or not, let's just understand the cost. So if we look at the price today and being that we're only 40% of what the Americans get, even if we went back to 60% of what the Americans get, the difference between those two prices would represent about $5 billion Canadian more in revenue to the Canadian economy. Yeah, yeah. So even a small change in price because we have such volume results in billions of dollars of extra revenue to our economy. Right. What happens with that revenue? It results in jobs, more drilling, more economic benefits for Canada that we're really just giving away here. Yeah, we are giving it away. And because a lot of that flows to the top line, but it also really flows to the profitability of the industry because at these prices, $1.50, most of the producers aren't making any money. Yeah, and let's talk about that. When we talk about the price of gas for Western Canada, we're talking at a hub, a trading hub called the ACO hub. But in reality, producers produce their gas, like we just talked about, a lot of it's coming from Grand Prairie. Yeah. So you need to produce the gas, you have to process the gas, and then you have to pay money to move it to this hub. So the actual price you're getting at the wellhead for many producers when they consider all those other costs yeah. is like under a dollar. Yeah, it's, it's staggering actually how cheaply we can do it. But we're giving it away for free. I mean, it's coming out of the ground for free is really what's going on here. And in that regard, it is a crisis because we are not optimizing the value of this very important commodity. It's the lowest carbon molecule, hydrocarbon, out there. It is in many regards, uh, depending on your views of the future, a fuel of the future, a bridge fuel to the renewable fuel of the future, a renewable energy of the future. And it is the one that is being priced the least. 
That's right. And it's surprising that we still have any volume at all. But you know what's happening here is that we have a bunch of gas that's producing because it was drilled in better days. Yep. Um, but the reason that we're not seeing declines in that, we're seeing you know still steady gas production, is because there has been a shift to wells that produce liquids like oil and light oil called condensates. Right. And so people are still continuing to drill and getting the money associated with the liquids and looking at the gas like a byproduct that's worth nothing. But we're still leaving a lot of money on the table because that gas should be worth something and there should be some economic return from producing that gas. But that's not what's happening today. Yeah, right. So, you know, to clarify and understand the situation, you know, the further west you go in the Western Canadian sedimentary basin, typically you get a lot drier gas. In other words, dry gas without any of the uh, hydrocarbon liquids, such as uh, the pentanes and condensates and so on and so forth. And yet the dry gas has now become almost worthless. There's no money to be made. So the producers have shifted their focus to drilling for the liquids, which are much higher priced. And as we've discussed in prior podcasts, those are some of the highest value products in the basin. But when you drill for those liquids, you also get more gas. That's right. And so that's why we've sustained production levels, because people aren't even looking at gas right. as having any value. Right. It's an associated product of this oil, and we continue to produce the gas. So there's, there's, I mean, another way to put it is, is that this uh, valuable fuel, low-carbon fuel for the future is basically being treated as a waste product. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's a lost economic opportunity. Let's talk about what companies are doing in light of this sure. very serious situation. And, you know, there are many companies that are pivoting right now. But I wanted to highlight the three-year plan released by Peto, which is a gas producer in Western Canada. They were primarily a dry gas producer. They have also shifted to investing more in, in wells that produce these liquids because you can't make any money uh, drilling for gas in light of this environment. And, you know, they're the fifth largest natural gas producer in Western Canada. As a public company, you can sort of see um, how this has impacted them. Their stock price has fallen from about $37 to near $7 now, so like an 80% drop. And they are not unique. There are a lot of gas companies that have faced this type of decline in the value of their shares because of this natural gas situation. You know, it's staggering as as an indicator of, I I would call it a crisis in many dimensions, that the, I think it's worth repeating, the fifth largest producer of natural gas has been devalued and, and one of the lowest, if not the lowest cost producer on top of that. That's right. And so I would, you know, they said in their plan, natural gas crisis is affecting the entire Alberta natural gas market. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what they're calling it. I think that's what it is. Here's some things that they're doing, though. They, they recognize that there are some things that maybe over the next three years will change, but in the near term, they need to do something. And they're doing things like, you know, what we talked about, shifting to more liquids, focusing on lowering their costs. Interestingly, they talk about a plan to start owning their own storage caverns so they can inject gas when prices are low instead of producing it. So today, the way the natural gas operations work, you know, some days it's actually been zero or negative oh, money to, that you're getting, you but you still You have to pay to take it away. You have to pay to take it away. That's right. So what they're saying is, well, why don't we put in our own storage cavern so that we can actually store it on those days, not sell it. And mm-hmm. when prices are better, we would produce as well as put this stored gas and sell it at the higher price. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a pretty novel idea. Uh, you know, it used to be that we could rely on storage facilities that everybody used, but there's been some changes in Trans Canada yeah. that have allowed storage not to be as used as in the past. So this is kind yeah. of a quite a unique idea. Well, you know, I think it's novel. But, you know, on the other hand, it doesn't really address the root of the issue, which is, you know, why is natural gas priced at such low prices to begin with? 
And yeah, it, storage helps to manage volatility in price, you know, ranging all the way from negative to peanuts. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, we need to be seeking higher level solutions. And in that regard, there was a report that came out recently. That's right. So there are some solutions. So the Alberta government recognized the seriousness of the situation, established a natural gas advisory panel in the summer of 2018, and there were three members on it. Terence Cutrick, which was the former head of Alliance Pipeline, Hal Quisley, former CEO of TransCanada, but we now call it TC Energy. And he's also headed up oil and gas producers, including Talisman, and is currently the chairman of Arc Resources, and Brenda Kenny, former executive for the NEB. So we had a lot of good perspectives on this question sure. about what to do. Uh, the group report came out in December, and they characterized Western Canada's gas situation as a daunting crisis. So we're not just making that up in our title here. Like, it's, it is a crisis by it, all accounts. Yeah, and they came up with 48 recommendations of things that need to be fixed here. Well, 48, I mean, that's a fairly long laundry list. <laughs> Frankly, that's longer than my own personal to-do list. How do they, I mean, in many ways, it's it's too many recommendations, right? I mean, uh, I said, I even personally have long lists, and so I have to sift through it and prioritize it. Did they at all prioritize, which like, is the most important? Peter, I know you, you have a very long to-do list. <laughs> so the fact that this is longer than your personal to-do list is uh, is pretty stunning. So, you know, I think it, it that is one unfortunate thing is there's so much here. And, and, and not to uh, fault the panel, I think these are all valid things, but it's a little bit much for policymakers to understand sort of what to do next. I wanted to highlight um, some ideas that came out of it that I think could be sort so, of so more of the higher priority ones. The higher priority. Yeah. We, we have to prioritize. This, right? I mean, it's not going to be possible to attack all 48, and some of them have more immediate impact than others. Okay, so there's some number of ones, like there was some ideas around reducing regulatory dwell, quite a few recommendations around that. For example, it can take up to three years to add capacity to get more volumes out to export markets because of the NEB process and the requirements for that. So right, regulatory dwell, I haven't heard that one before. I've yeah. heard regulatory drag. Is that the same thing? Like, you know, it just takes too long to get stuff done? Yeah, I mean, the point is why does right. it take three and a half years? years when hmm. we already have a uh, pipeline right away's pipes are there we're maybe hmm. going to just add some capacity to existing compressor stations like it shouldn't take that long sounds like my to-do list yeah it takes too long uh, yeah, another okay. one is we need more spare capacity on the system and one issue has been that the system is running full out and whenever there's problems there's no capacity so, to absorb that so when you say system like what do you mean like the pipelines or what yeah or the, i mean what we're specifically talking about is there's a regional gathering system it goes by many names ngtl it's sometimes called or the nova system but think of it this way it's like there are little pipes all over this province that collect all the gas that gets produced and move it to this hub. And this system actually moves about 75% of all the gas produced in Western yeah, Canada. Yeah. That system doesn't have a lot of spare capacity on it. So anytime there's some maintenance work or things that need to be done, it causes price volatility because there isn't sort of spare capacity. So these capacity. are the narrow pipes that are the feeder pipes from the gas fields that then gather and then get ready and then they compress it to up the pressure to put it in the big main line, which then gets shipped down east. That's right. So we're yeah. basically the gathering system before we get right. uh, shipping it out to right. Uh, so that and- system is suffering from basically too much gas and not enough takeaway. That's right. And and that's ultimately the problem is we're producing too much gas and not enough takeaway. But within that, even, there isn't really a lot of room in the system to adjust when there's mm-hmm. outages in one place or the other. And then also a lot of ideas around um, making it easier for companies to access these export markets, which is what we need, and ways to expand our export markets. And of course, a very important 
recommendation is around how the government could help facilitate LNG. So the list goes on and on. I want to highlight one recommendation that I think could be quite impactful Mm -hmm. in the short term, and it was recommendation number seven. And basically, this recommendation said that we should encourage this regional pipeline system that I just described called the NGTL. That's a natural gas trunk line. Right. Okay. The the old Nova system. The Nova system, it's sometimes called as well, to reverse a maintenance policy it implemented in the summer of 2017. And this maintenance policy has created a lot of volatility for price. So, I mean, just to to elaborate here, maintenance, when you say maintenance, is every now and then you have to bring down the pipeline. In other words, repair it, do maintenance things. And so when that happens, then the front end of the gas fields has to be curtailed effectively because there's too much gas coming in while the while the pipe is being maintained. That's right. Uh, the old system prior to the summer of 2017 is they would say to all of the producers, you all have to uh, not produce as much because the system cannot flow all the gas because we're doing this work. Right. So they go to the producers of which there's maybe 10, let's just say for the sake of argument in these feeder lines, and they say, okay, 10 producers, we're doing maintenance. I want each of you to cut back by 5% all across the board. That's right. right. Equal. Equal, right. Yeah. And that what would happen is then the price would would be fine because uh, we cut the supply the and therefore end. we could flow all the gas that was coming in. Right. What changed in the summer of 2017 is there was a change in policy so that when we had maintenance work or restricted flows in the system, we would not do that anymore. Therefore, all the producers could continue to flow like they were before. But right. of course, the system can't accept that much gas. So it pounds the price down. Yes. So right. we basically, yeah. we get a very low, sometimes zero or negative price. Uh-huh. And basically, that's a signal for somebody to shut in. So we're doing it through economic principles right. instead so of- Right. So the curtailment, control. instead of being equal across those 10 producers, it's basically the last standing producer who finally says, uncle, I can't produce at these low, low prices. I'll shut in. So it becomes much more of a market-based curtailment as opposed to an equitable, even curtailment across all producers. Yes, and and not all producers are equal in terms of uh, their ability. Not everyone actually sees the equal price. Some of them sell at higher price markets. And so it's definitely not equitable as it was before. There are certain producers that are having to cut a lot and others that are not being impacted. So I'm a free market kind of guy. So why is this a bad thing? Well, you can just look at a price chart of the price of gas in Western Canada, and you can see it was low but stable. And then starting in the summer of 2017, it just became like a zigzag, up and down and up and down and up and down. Volatility, some extremely low prices uh, across the board. And of course, you know, investors really focus on the price of oil, the price of natural gas, and they see this sort of volatility and they see that, uh, oh, none of these guys are making any money. Right? Mm-hmm. None of the 10 that we're talking about are making any money It would be the assumption. And therefore, it pounds down the stock prices, which is, you know, one reason why this, you talked about Pado as one of many examples where the price has been hammered down by 70, 80% is because of this change in policy that can be so clearly seen not only on the ACO price, but also on the uh, on the stock price charts of the companies. Yes, and I would argue the companies that don't sell much of their gas at ACO, you know, that in theory shouldn't be impacted by this because yeah. they're not actually selling at ACO. Maybe they're selling in Chicago because they have the ability right. to move their gas to higher price markets. Their equity prices have been impacted very, very yeah. severely as well. They're getting kind of treated as a Western Canadian gas producer, and that yeah. price is influencing how people view their equity. Yeah, I mean, this is really a fascinating study that highlights how important it is 
to get policy, regulatory policy right. Uh, because here's a situation where you really haven't physically changed anything. You just changed a policy. And all of a sudden, it hammers the price, makes it more volatile, hammers stock prices as well, and disarray. And results in less money for investment in Western Canada, mm-hmm. less government well, royalties. Now less government royalties for the people that own the resource. Yeah. That's right. And so I'm really glad that this report uh, highlighted the issue here because I do believe, yes, there are some big challenges with Western Canadian natural gas markets. There's some things in that report that need to be done that are are big challenges and would take a long time. But I think this is one that could have a real impact. So you would say elevate seven, number seven to number one. I think so. That's the top priority. Right. Get that back into sync. Now, there's been a lot of talk about curtailment. Yes. Because this is, I mean, the analogies to the oil side, which uh, had all the headlines and still continues to have headlines, uh, the oil differential, uh, are almost exactly parallel. There's too much supply and not enough ability to take it away to the customer. So you get a regional glut, pounds the price down, and therefore you have a problem. It's just that gas has not historically, in recent memory anyway, been as uh, much of a headliner issue as oil. It hasn't. And part of that is because we just talked about it doesn't mean as much to the province in terms of the revenues right. or the royalties. But I would just argue, well, uh, why wouldn't we want to get a look, few billion more well, go, than we are? Get a few billion more. I mean, this was a $50 billion business uh, less, uh, well, about a dozen years ago. Okay, we know it's not going to be a $50 billion business again, but it can certainly be more than 9 or 10. It could probably be 15 to 20. Yeah, it could help with the deficits in Alberta. It could help with more investment in sure. the province. Right. And so I see it as you know, something we need to solve. Um, now, back to the curtailment thing. So a lot of news made uh, last sure. week. Hal Quisley was in the press. He was one of the authors of the report. Yep. And basically, he said that we should do the curtailments. For example, rather than producing 100 MFCF per day at the wellhead, at 75 cents, an operator should produce 94 and receive a wellhead price of 250. So why aren't we curtailing so that we can get that well, price higher? Yeah, but curtailment is difficult as a, what, like a government policy, like uh, the premier stepping in much as she did for oil. Uh, because as we said at the outset, uh, the unlike oil, most of oil production is in Alberta, Saskatchewan, but I mean, the bulk is in, is in Alberta, but gas is 50, almost 50-50 BC in Alberta. So just merely shutting some production in in Alberta isn't going to help in BC, right? Exactly. Unless I mean, that's they're one on board reason. too. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, uh, We're not really in any mood to be, uh, to allow BC to, uh, to tag along on our curtailment. That's right. So I think one problem is, yes, you'd need both provinces to be involved or, or it would be Alberta right. producers sacrificing so BC producers can steal market share. Candidly, I don't think this is going to happen. But I think that, you know, getting back to the recommendation seven or we just talked about, that seems to me much more tangible. Okay, so the price of gas is what we think averaging buck seventy this year to dollar seventy. Well, I mean, I think it's probably if nothing changes here, going to be just like it was for the last year and a half. What is that? Dollar fifty Canadian per so, gauge. In your opinion, if we remedied that uh, issue number seven. What We could add how much, 40, 50 cents? Get it's back hard to, two to bucks? say, but I think we'd get closer to two bucks than we are now. I'm not sure we'd get all that, the way there. I, mean, I think just, it could have a material impact. I mean, that is vote. staggering in terms of the, uh, the, the impact that that could have. Yeah, and in a way, we are actually cutting back production when we can't move the gas. So it's not a true curtailment, but it kind of works that way. The mm. other thing I'd say about the gas markets is it's so dynamic on a given day, depending on the demand in the province and what's going on with the Nova system, the amount of throughput can change drastically. A system like the Alberta government put in for oil does not really make as much sense for me uh, as gas just from that perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to quickly talk about LNG uh, before we sure. uh, kind of wrap up the podcast here. Obviously, LNG is a huge opportunity. Uh, we have growing 
rising demand for natural gas in Asia to replace uh, the use of coal for power generation, but also the use for coal for home heating and mm-hmm. other sort of industrial uses. And so there are a lot of forecasts that say globally the demand for gas is going to grow like 40% over the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so this is an opportunity for Canada because we have this low-cost gas. I would say we have some of the cleanest gas on the planet because of the methane rules that we're putting in. You know, The biggest reason that there is a lot of any GHG from the upstream part of producing gas is because sometimes methane is lost. It goes into the it atmosphere. Leaks into the atmosphere. And it yeah. does have an impact on greenhouse gas emissions, but there's some new policies coming in both Alberta, BC, and now Saskatchewan that are aiming to reduce those right. methane leaking. And it's, so it's clean and it's a growing market. We're well positioned to be very close to Asia, where a lot of the demand growth is. So this is a great opportunity for us. So I'm glad that the Alberta government is studying this a little bit more. I I mean, it is coming out at so low a cost. We're good at producing this stuff. We just want to get paid the fair value for the resource, for the benefit of the the economy, whether it's at the the taxation and royalty level or for our producers so they can attract more investment and employment. And... Then also to make a contribution in terms of the greenhouse gas emissions globally by pushing out coal. That's right. And, you know, in terms of the economic prize, it is quite large. We've been talking just about, you know, if we could change the price a little bit within the context of the production we have today. But the LNG Canada project, which got sanctioned in the fall, that's a $40 billion investment. So to put that in context, over a 10-year period in the boom days of the oil sands, there was about 100 billion dollars of capex investment made so this one lng project could represent almost half of that and there's opportunity for one more of those probably two or three more of those this is a a sizable economic opportunity for the canadian economy it really is we've come a long way since these postcards from medicine hat when we were first drilling for water and we found natural gas we had uh, a real boom a real run with it over the course of the last century and uh, into partway into this century, it's time to put more attention into this very valuable commodity now, get the policies right, get the system tuned up right, get that export market uh, in play for the liquefied natural gas. And uh, I think that there's a, a bright future for natural gas going forward. Yeah, so, you know, the news is, or the bad news is, I think we've both agreed there's a crisis. No, there's no, no more bad news. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is we have solutions here and, you know, yeah. this is our opportunity to lose as uh, I think it Canadians. Is. It is. Well, thanks again for listening, and uh, we hope you join us next time. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.